Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Andrea Simon. Andrea is an independent documentary filmmaker whose work has explored the interaction between politics, culture, religion, and a variety of times and places. Her work has been praised as both visually striking and intellectually provocative. She's the director of many films, including Angle Wagerstein, Art is a Weapon which premiered at the New York Jewish Film Festival in January 2017. The film will screen at the Yiddish Book Center on February 3rd, 2019. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Delighted to have you. And um, before I start, wow, (laughs) it's an incredible film, Andrea. Oh, thank you. Let me ask my first question to you, which is, how did you find your way to the project? Well, it's a very strange story, actually, and um, it almost literally fell on my head out of the sky because I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years back, there was this volcano in Iceland, and for about a week, there were no flights going transatlantically from the States to Europe, and a friend of mine was trapped in New York. So he called me up and said, I'm still here. Come over and have coffee. And that's when I first heard the name Angel Wagenstein. And then I found out I had another connection to him because someone I knew from an earlier film about another extraordinary and brilliant and sort of unjustly neglected uh, Jewish artist, Salka Fiertel, um, had actually translated a book of Wagenstein's. At that, at that point, now it's two books. And I asked her a little bit about Wagenstein, and she said, oh, you must do this, you must do this. It's perfect for a film, which if you've been in the business for years, people say this all the time. But she gave me a copy of Stars, which is an extremely autobiographical and extremely brilliant film that is set in Bulgaria during the German occupation in World War II, and it's a very unusual and very visually dense and brilliant film, and to me, it's actually one of the two or three greatest films about the Shoah, and it's very unknown. It's beginning to creep back into circulation. It actually won the Prix Special at the Cannes Film Festival in 1959, which was very, very unusual for an East Bloc film, but I I saw that film, and I was completely hooked. You know, I I thought, who is this person? And I read a novel of his called Isaac's Torah, in which this Ladino-speaking Bulgarian Marxist beautifully impersonates the voice of a Yiddish-speaking tailor from a shtetl in Poland. And I thought, God, this guy is, he's a wonderful writer, although he only began to write novels at the age of 70. And the film, which I sat down and, and looked at twice, and I, I, saw, I saw it the first time, and I thought, this is very unusual. But I looked at it twice, and I thought, hmm. So I just finished a big project. And I wrote to him, and I said, would you be open to um, considering uh, 
I was thinking of a shorter piece about his life, and he said, oh, you know, we can't embark on this kind of journey together unless there's a spark, a funk. Um, and I went over to Bulgaria. I stayed in his house. We spent 14 hours a day together, and it was an amazing experience. We hung out with all of these. He was 88 at that point. And the first night I got there, we went out to dinner in a typical Bulgarian kind of cellar restaurant where there's, you know, embroidered pantaloons are hanging on the wall and everybody's drinking lots of rookie and chain smoking. And there was this round table with about 10 fabulous old partisans, Marxists, all chain smoking and drinking rakia. And we, they just told stories and there were a lot of laughs and there was an incredible warmth and kind of craziness, like a wildness and a gaiety that was so extraordinary. And in that week of staying with Jackie, everybody calls him Jackie because um, when he was a little boy, his three maiden aunts used to take him to the movies, silent movies, and they all called him Jackie because they thought he looked like Jackie Coogan in the kit, so, which he did, actually. So um, I had spent a week with Jackie, and I thought, you know, what is this place? Who are these people? What is the story here? And I just kind of embarked on this astonishing seven-year, it sounds very biblical, it's like mm -hmm. a seven-year journey. And, um, you know, I made a couple of shorter films during that time to sort of replenish the coffers of Arcadia Pictures. But um, it was an education into a completely different perspective on... 20th, 20th century history, on Jewish history, on the history of film, and um, I, I just feel incredibly privileged to have done it. And and he still he's still fantastically engaged. He has a column in the newspaper. He writes once a week for the left wing newspaper in Bulgaria. He's very prominent politically and he's 96 he just turned 96 well, he, he has this great line that you have in the film the ink of my own life always bleeds through and I think this is true of the work he's created and you can't imagine him as stopping that creative process but I, I wanted to back up for just a second and ask you I and I think you've alluded to this in in setting the scene for how you came to this project but I think he tells a larger story. When you tell his story, there is a much larger narrative, and it, it seems like it's almost working on several different, again, mm -hmm. use the word levels. And how did that reveal itself to you in terms of the process when you set out to find out who he was? Did you see this as a way to understand history? Well, that's a very interesting question. My background, I think, prepared me to see this individual life as intricately 
woven into the history of his time, you know, because I, I came from a very left-wing family in New York, and it was absolutely unselfconsciously evident that your personal life is part of something larger, you know, and that, you know, my parents were, were very Jewish and very left-wing. Unlike many left-wing families, we practiced. And, you know, I was very involved in my bat mitzvah, and it was just a very natural thing to do both. So, actually, there's a quote that's not in the film, but you could say that it gave me the equipment to make a film that is a political film, a film about one exquisitely bizarre and appealing and charming and wild character, and also a film about how does art function? What is, what is the role of art? What is the role of the artist in a revolutionary time? And it's a quote from um, the novelist Robert Musil, which also was an artist who completely transformed my life when I discovered him when I was 18. And, it, and it's, I say history, but what I mean, you will remember, is our life. And so for me and, and for my, my family, the individual life is part of the historical tapestry. And, and in, as you see in Wagenstein's case, it's like absolutely self-evident. There's no separation. So does that... Yeah, answer the question. Yeah, I mean, as I was watching it, that revealed itself so seamlessly. It was not as though you had a construct and you were trying to back these two themes into it. He embodies that. Um, Even the the title of the film, which I want to come ask you in another question, Mm -hmm. um, again makes so much sense. There were there were a couple of other lines that I just um, I I noted when I was watching it. that are so interesting and can be looked at, I think, in in so many different ways, some metaphorical and and some give us uh, a deeper understanding of the role of art in in our everyday life in terms of, uh, of being a voice for people. Um, one of the lines is somebody talking about him says, you know, he stretches the margins of permissible. He used mm-hmm. the weapons of irony in his film. And then in his words, I loved this, the error of the silent film is over, and I hope that the error of the silent film is over too. So using that the silent filmmaker, the, yes, the era yeah, of yes. silence done, and and the era of the silent filmmaker, I hope, is done too. And you have you have to set the scene by saying that he did this, and he made that speech seven months before the fall of the Berlin Wall. There was no guarantee that the Soviet Union was going to collapse. There was no guarantee that the democratic changes would be powerful enough to overthrow this, this, this um, rickety, sclerotic, um, cage-like, imperial Soviet situation in which they were all caught. Um, and it was extremely brave to make a speech at the Filmmakers Union annual meeting in February 1989. He, he made this speech, and it transformed. He 
people's lives. I mean, that speech in which the line about silent filmmakers uh, occurs, and also the line at the end of the film, which is not identified as coming from there, where he says, you know, we, we have to, we filmmakers have to keep alive the faith in the bright light in a darkened room. And that's so beautiful because it says to be a filmmaker has the potential to make you a revolutionary because you're seeing that there's, there's, there's contradiction and there's paradox, but there's a bright light. You know, it's like Hatikva, so, so Jewish in some way. He said that line as well, and people streamed out into the night. Everybody that I have spoken to, I've spoken to six people who were present in that room, and one of them told me that uh, little audio cassettes of that speech were sold on the streets of Sofia and Plovdiv and, you know, Rousset and all over Bulgaria for 15 leva, which was not a small sum. It would be like 1989, that would maybe like selling something for $10 or something on the streets of New York. So people, and, and it was like men in overcoats would like open up their overcoats and say, hey, I have the Falkenstein speech. So it's very transformative. Yeah, uh, uh, and later on there's the, the analogy of the broken loop in cinema and the film is turning backwards. Oh, oh. that's my favorite word of the year, beskonechnik. Mm-hmm. endless loop it's, it's in film there's this thing called an endless loop it comes from the era when we, when we used film projectors you know and um, you made a circle out of a piece of film so that if you kept the projector going you would watch the same piece of film over and over and over again and that's called an endless loop and that's one of my favorite moments in the film because he says i feel like you know in the in the aftermath of the failure in so many ways the failure of the revolutions of 1989 he feels like we're going backwards he says i feel like i'm i'm in a screening room with a broken projector and the film reel is turning backwards, and we're going backwards. The battles of World War II are still being fought all over Europe. Look at what's happening in Poland. Look at what's happening in Hungary. This goes back to, to the 1930s, to the very powerful, fascist, repressive, anti-Semitic governing parties of that period. You know, we are moving backwards, and we have to deal with it. And, and to me, one of the really fantastic things about Jackie is that when, when you look at Wagenstein's life and, and you see his, it's kind of like, yeah, he was an unbelievably brave partisan, and he was captured and tortured and sentenced to death. And, you know, as he says in, in the movie, he... he um, Every morning he, he wondered if he would be one of the people that was taken out to be shot. You know. So his bravery and his you know, acid-dipped pen in which he writes, he writes this amazing Bulgarian. I did learn a little Bulgarian to, to make the film, but, but he writes in this hilarious 
pun-filled, very satirical way. He's like Jonathan Swift. He's a born satirist. But what, what is also so inspiring, if you think of him as an... I, I feel like he's, he, he's a model for how to resist, you know, and you have to resist bravely and intelligently, but also with a sense of joy and with a sense of humor and with a sense of faith, really. You know, and that's why in, in there's this great moment in the film where we went to the scene of the filming of Stars, undoubtedly his greatest, greatest script and, and super autobiographical. And that happens to be the birthplace of maybe the greatest 20th century Bulgarian poet, Vatsarov, who was a friend of his who was killed by the czarist pro-Nazi government when he was a very young man, like in his 20s. And um, Jackie starts to read this poem, and then he starts to cry. And the poem is basically don't tell me I shouldn't have faith that tomorrow is going to be better. And he, he will never, regardless of how bleak the prospects are, you know, Trump is like nothing for him because he lived through World War II. But at the same time, he says, this is how, this is how you combat a, a petty, thug, fascist leader, you know. You have to keep your wits about you. You have to be brave, but you also have to be subtle and clever. And there will be an end to it. It's, it's, it's amazing. I find him incredibly inspiring. It's a really remarkable film that you've put together absolutely beautifully. Um, and, again, the, the idea, I, the title, Art is a Weapon, is so profound and it it resonates with his story and and the story the again the larger sort of historical narrative that weaves its way in into the telling. Yeah. A, a quick last question for you. Um, mm-hmm. So he goes from filmmaker to writer, and I wonder mm-hmm. if you can just touch on that a little bit in terms of the trajectory of his life that that made sense or what precipitated that. Uh, yes, well, what precipitated that was that um, he was already in the mid-1980s. He made the most expensive film ever made in the Bulgarian film industry. And by the way, the Bulgarians were big film goers. There were um, 7,000 cinemas in this tiny little country in the 1930s, which is just a statistic that completely blows my mind. I mean, it's just if you compare the numbers anywhere else. So it's a very film-loving country, and films were important. And he made this film as a commission, Boris, which I show many excerpts from towards the end of the film, which was about the founding, it was like the founding father of Bulgarian nationhood. He was this czar in the ninth century called and he unified all of the little warring tribes in, the, in that part of the Balkans. And this was a big government commission, which for someone who had been kicked out of the party twice 
and then slowly rehabilitated each time um, was like an amazing commission. But when it came out, people immediately realized, even though I think it was 1985, it was a huge attack on the stultifying, dead, repressive communist system that, that had taken hold in, in the 60s and 70s. So the 40s and 50s were very positive, I think, for people. People believed in the, the communist idea completely, but by the 70s and, and 80s, it was very old, and people were just suffering from it. So, so he was kind of, you know, he didn't get any work after that, really, any, any major films after that from the Bulgarian film industry. So then in 1989, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the beginning of the democratic transformations, which Bakkenstein was intimately involved with, and he was one of the people who helped draw up and also signed the new post-communist constitution of the country. So he was a very big participant in that. The entire film industry collapsed. No films were made at all in Bulgaria. None at all, not even, no feature films for two or three years not even privately funded, you know. So the film industry was gone, you know. He had one more wonderful film that to me is also, all, all, he, he, he made one more wonderful film um, about his childhood growing up in this wonderful multicultural city of Plovdiv, but that was privately funded by a, a French consortium. And it's, it's lovely, it's a little bit like Amarcord Mm-hmm. But it's it's not his not his not my favorite. Um, anyway, so no more films. What is he going to do? So he started writing novels, and he the novels have been translated now into sixteen languages. They're very popular in China and Japan, and also in Spain, which I learned when I went there for the Barcelona Jewish Film Festival. And his novels are a very intimate portrait, especially his, his um, my favorite novel of his, which is called Dalech of Toledo, Far from Toledo, which is about far from Spain, the situation of Sephardic Jews in, in the Balkans. Um, but he became an extremely successful novelist. He won... Um, several European prizes in Spain, Italy, a prize from the European Union, and his novels are are fantastic. Um, They're very good, and he made the transition effortlessly. Um, As he says in the film, you know, um, I've stayed in my little ghetto of literature the whole time when I stopped writing screenplays and started novels. It was just like going across the street. Well, it's an amazing thing that you, um, a volcano, <laughs> and, and the cancellation of a flight led to what I think is just, it's it's a, a great film, and I thank you for bringing it to 
to uh, audiences. You'll be here, as I understand, um, at the Yiddish Book Center on February 3rd? Oh, yeah. I love the Yiddish Book Center. I went there a couple of years ago for the first time, and I I was mesmerized by it. All, all of the books waiting to be picked up and touched and read downstairs and the wonderful little documentary on the art. It's a great place. I'm so happy to be coming there on Sunday. Well, we're, we're, really. th- we're thrilled to have you coming. Thanks. And thank you again. Um, and we look forward to welcoming you uh, Sunday, February 3rd. Thanks much. Thank and you so much. Keep making films. So keep finding thank these you. stories. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm Josh Strassman, cultural intern for the Wexler Oral History Project at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 155, Menasha, a father, a son, and a community, where director Joshua Weinstein and lead actor Menasha Lustig talk about their award-winning Yiddish-language film, Menasha. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.